0: Episode 5, Mary Beth Oaks with Business Furniture and Corio.
1: Welcome to Gut Plus Science, Analytics About People, Insights for Executives, Truth You Can Act On. A high-energy, fast-paced, results-oriented exchange featuring employee engagement evangelist and CEO, your host, Nikki Llewellyn.
0: So I'm pretty convinced that the reason why a number of us spend time on Gut Plus Science is because we are looking to develop that culture that we dream of. Yet it's pretty hard. It's a big undertaking and there's lots of different components to it. And I'm here to validate that, yes, that is very true. Did you know that there are scientifically proven 14 individual components that make up the drivers to employee engagement? So 14 different units of measurement that we have to keep our eye on as leaders to see our people bring their greatest force to their work. Wow, that's a lot. Well, today we're going to dive into one of those, and one of those is trust. I bet that does not surprise you. That's a very big key in just about any relationship, and especially in the workplace. And so today, really excited. We're going to be hearing from a powerhouse woman that's leading not one, but two companies as CEO, So let's dive right in. Mary Beth Oaks, welcome to the show. So here's my question for you. I know that you've got great retention going on and just a very unique culture happening at both businesses, um, business furniture and choreo. What would you say is the key reason why people stay?
2: I think our employees stay because they truly feel like they are part of a family. Our culture is very family-based, and I think our, our employees enjoy that. They feel like they're a part of a great community. I think they're also feeling like they're a part of something bigger. They feel like they have a chance to make a difference. We work in the world of workplace with our clients, and we know that our clients spend a ton of time in their space. So I do believe that our employees also feel like they are serving a valuable purpose by trying to make those workplaces the very best they can be. So I think it's that. I think it's also that that family culture.
0: I love that. And I figured you were going to say something along the lines of like, everyone gets to bring their dogs to work.
2: Well, we have done that a couple of times. And that is definitely one of the most popular things that we do in terms of employee engagement. We have a very friendly, pet-loving workforce at Business Furniture and Choreo. And we have done that a couple of times. And I will tell you right now, employees love it. And I think the dogs like it too.
0: Yeah. And I think it just totally like relaxes the environment, just makes everybody happier. When in your career, I'm interested to know because, you know, you're now running two companies and everyone, you know, goes through a time period where it just really hits them that Culture and employee engagement are so important. Like, when did that hit you?
2: I think it hit me maybe about, I guess, seven or eight years ago. And I, you know, I really always thought our culture was pretty strong. And I do think it's pretty strong. But I remember one of our supplier partners said to me, she felt like there was something just maybe slightly going on with our culture. And she didn't know what that was, but she just noticed something was a little bit different. And she just wanted to bring that to my attention. And what I started to realize by talking to our employees, they did feel like they wanted more information, more communication, you know, more opportunities to build a community. And I think it hit me right then and there that I had a big chance, a big opportunity to try to work with them to make our culture even better. Because I know today's workplace is very competitive. And you were talking about, you know, talent as being one of the number one concerns, if not the number one concern. And I know in our business, that is our number one concern, having that best talent. So that's when it hit me, probably seven or eight years ago.
0: And you've talked a lot, like when we've talked one-on-one and now you've said it um, just in the couple of first minutes here, that the family feel that you create has become really important. Tell us what that looks like or some suggestions for our listeners on how to create that family feel.
2: Well, we are a family business to start with. So I think that is part of the reason that our culture does feel like a family. I think we truly care about each other, but also actually in our space, you know, we felt like in our old space, we did have a lot of walls and a lot of physical and barriers that prevented teams from working together effectively, even really good spaces for people to come together to form a community. So in our new space, you'll find that it's generally very open so that people have great access to one another. You'll find it's a very transparent type of a workplace, but we also have places to go when people do need to collaborate you know, behind a closed door, or even if you just need one-on-one time to focus, right? So we try to give people flexibility and choice and control. But those open spaces really do promote that sense of family, that sense of teamwork. We have a great social hub right when you walk through our front door. And throughout the day, you will see employees having conversations there, having meetings, enjoying breakfast, enjoying lunch, and that's really what that space is for. Not only do we want our employees to form great you know, work relationships, but we want them to also have wonderful social connections and to feel like they're really a part of a
0: family and something bigger than just themselves. That's great. I'm going to take just a quick break for us to be able to hear from our sponsor. But when we come back, I want to learn a little bit more about how important it is to create space that um, helps to attract and retain employees. So we'll be right back.
1: PurpleLink's customized HR services will help you make your workspace joy powered. Whether you're looking for help with recruiting, compliance or leadership training, they listen to what you need and tailor their solutions to you. Check out purpleinkllc.com, that's purpleinkllc.com, to find out how they can help your business. And look for the Joy-Powered Workspace Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.
0: Okay, Mary Beth, we're back. And I love that you're talking about your world of what you create, which are these very inviting environments where people can be productive at work. That's that's your expertise. And it's also a key to how you've developed your culture. What I would love to know is... In my world, in employee engagement, people often say, Oh, well, you're supposed to have, you know, foosball tables or you need more snacks or soda machines or beer. And I'm always fighting that battle. I'm like, that's just a tactic. Of course, there's some organizations that do that and they do it well, which is great, but it's not a universal approach. Help our listeners understand what are the first steps that they start to go through when thinking about how to create that space that attracts employees. I would say,
2: you know, every client, every organization has their own unique way of working, their own unique culture, right? So we like to start with doing some basic research around really understanding what are the gaps in the workplace and what can we do to make the workplace even stronger. So we start with a lot of research. We are big believers in data. I think data helps to drive change. It helps to just drive effective decision making. And that is how we end up with, you know, really good, you know, great workplaces, I feel. So, if I think about our own space, we started with research. And what we realized in our old space, we had lots of walls, lots of barriers. We felt like teams did not come together easily. Sharing information was difficult, communicating was difficult, getting together even to be innovative and to explore new ideas. It was just very cumbersome. That's what we learned from the research. So, we learned that we needed to create an open space that brought people together, but we also realized that people do need. Spaces for individual privacy, for focusing, for creating. So I think it's truly a blend. I like to say it's all about creating an ecosystem of different types of spaces that help each employee to do their best work. So depending on what you're trying to get accomplished at any one time, having a space that that gives you that opportunity is wonderful. I think what else is happening in the world of workplace, the lines are really being blurred between home and work. And I do think that what's really different now is that employees like to come into an environment where they have flexibility and choice and control on how they do their work and where they do their work. And I think they're also looking for softer types of spaces, spaces that really do feel more like you know, your living room, your family room, your home office, so softer spaces, more comfortable spaces, some spaces that really might function more like a traditional desk, but other you know, spaces that might function like a lounge chair with an ottoman. So, giving people choice so they can change their posture, change how they're working throughout the day, really giving them that choice and control and that flexibility. I had a colleague from an organization that we work with say something very profound to me. I asked him what he wanted the space to feel like at his organization. And he said, to be honest, Mary Beth, I wish our space could feel like Saturday morning. And it really struck a chord with me because if you think about Saturday morning, you wake up and the possibilities are endless, right? And you feel comfortable. You can get so much accomplished. You can be so effective. You can be so productive. So I think, you know, having a space that feels like Saturday morning is definitely a great way to attract the best talent and hopefully retain the best talent.
0: I love that because it was like um, he led you with a theme that then you could start to create a visual around Um, that is really neat. So I just think like down that you'd said two things in this one, the importance of research and data in making changes is so important. And then having a theme so that you can paint a vision for where you're going. I'd love to know about a leader in your life that comes to mind when you, when you think of somebody you look up to, or was in your path along the way and just really inspired you and your leadership style.
2: So this is kind of an interesting thing. I don't know if everybody would list their, spice, their spouse as being like the most you know, influential mentor or leader in their life, but I would have to give that credit to my husband. I met him 26 years ago, and I have always been inspired by his leadership, by his vision, by his passion for what he does. I love the way that he can look out ahead and just see what's coming next and build a plan around that. That's just very inspiring to me. I love the fact that he's also very uplifting. He is always about giving people opportunities to grow and to develop and to stretch. And he has just always been, you know, certainly a great inspiration to me. And I love the fact that, you know, he's a little bit older. He's definitely in that baby boomer category, but you know, he has always been someone that definitely views men and women as equal. And definitely there's never been a glass ceiling where he is concerned. He definitely has shared opportunities with both men and women alike. And I think that's also quite refreshing, right? I think when he works with someone, he doesn't see their gender, but he just sees their potential and the opportunity to help to develop them as an individual, which I think is wonderful.
1: Oh,
0: that's wonderful. And it's, like beautiful that you just said that about your husband that's what that's a rarity and it's beautiful you said something that i'd love to know how he's inspired this path or you've taken it on and what what you're all doing now so growth and development of our employees is so important like we're measuring the impact of that all the time and the gaps in that we just see how much today's people in the workplace want that like they crave feedback they crave development and getting better and growing what are the some of the things that you're doing or you would encourage, you know, some of our listeners to think about with their growth and development plans with their people?
2: I think first of all it always starts with getting feedback. So, I'm a big believer in 360 feedback. So, that is something we do with our team. So, I think it's important to get feedback from your manager or your supervisor, but I think it's also really important to cast the net farther. So, to get feedback from other colleagues, other peers, even your clients. And then I think, you know, you take a look at all that feedback and you really start to understand where are the ways that you can grow. I think that's really, really important. If somebody can understand, you know, what the opportunities are for growth. And I think it starts with feedback. I've always been someone that believes that you can't grow and develop personally unless you get feedback and have an understanding what those opportunities for growth are. So I'm a big believer with starting with that. And then I'm also believer a big believer in coaching, consistent coaching. I think sometimes in the past, it was all about getting a, a, an annual review once a year. And I really think what's helpful is ongoing, consistent coaching and just really talking with an employee about what went well, what we could do better next time, and really holding each other accountable to that. I think so much about growing and developing has to do with being empowered to do what you need to do to grow and to develop. But I also think it's being accountable. And sometimes that means being given the freedom and the permission to fail. I'm not suggesting that I think all employees should be failing all day long every day, but I do think that is really where you learn when you make a mistake, when you fail. You know That's when you pick yourself up, you move on, you learn something from it, and you keep going. So I think having that type of culture where employees are empowered and accountable and they realize that when they fail, it's an opportunity to learn and to keep growing and to keep moving.
0: I love that as part of the coaching dialogue, that especially if a manager embraces that and the employee knows that I don't have to fear messing up. You had mentioned something that I I wonder if our listeners are curious about. So we're used to that kind of annual cadence for feedback and soliciting satisfaction responses from employees. Today, we keep hearing that it's so important to be routine. And I just heard you say that. When it comes to those two buckets of feedback and coaching, how do you break that down to Help our listeners understand if they were going to start to implement something like this. Is it like a quarterly feedback session that across the board, your managers are using the same kind of questions and ratings? And then for coaching, how does that work? Just to kind of break that down for ideas for our listeners.
2: I think it depends certainly on the person, on the employee, on the manager but like I know with the folks that report to me, you know, one one-on-ones are really important and we 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 typically do one official 360 review once a year with each one of those employees that are my direct reports, but then I like to have that opportunity to meet with them once a week or at least once every other week just to touch base and to talk about things, you know, from that 360, but also just to talk about how things are going generally speaking because I typically feel like When you encounter a roadblock, you know, you want to be able to have a thought partner to talk that through and to think about how you can do something differently or what needs to change. So I'm a big believer, if you can meet with your direct reports, you know, have a one-on-one once a week, even if it's just for 15 minutes or every other week for a half an hour or an hour, I think that is tremendously helpful just to build trust, to build that open dialogue of communication. You know, once again, I think everybody just needs a thought partner. So sometimes it's about coaching and and giving advice, but sometimes it's just about having a thought partner, someone to brainstorm with, someone to bounce ideas off of. And I think by developing that trusting relationship, it really can help someone to grow and to develop.
0: Once a week, one-on-ones between the manager and um, their employee, and you're saying that the key takeaways or the reason for that is to build trust, have an open dialogue, uh, be able to create that platform where employees and managers embrace and learn from their failures, and just dedicated brainstorming time. Exactly, I think it helps, and, and and that way too. You know,
2: if if it happens in between too, where you talk and connect, that's great. But at least you know you have that one dedicated time where you can always, you know, count on that opportunity to share and, and to to
0: build that relationship. Love it. So, Mary Beth, what is your like all time favorite book, or maybe one that you've read recently that you'd recommend?
2: I'm a big fan of Daniel Pink. I love the book Drive. It talks about what motivates people. And I think another aha that I had about culture and engagement, particularly engagement, I was wondering why sometimes employees become disengaged. And and what I read about in Daniel Pink's book is that people do want to master what they're doing. And so you become disengaged if you feel like every day you're encountering roadblocks and you're not being able you're not given the chance basically to move forward with what you're doing in your job, right? Every day you meet those roadblocks. And that's one of the reasons that people start to become disengaged. So I think that is a great book just about the human mind and about what motivates us. I think sometimes we think it's all about money or promotions. Um, and a lot of times that's part of it, but that's not the whole story. So I think that's another good book about just human motivation.
0: Yeah, I love both of those books. And I just attended a workshop maybe three weeks ago or so, and it broke it out. The motivation of employees broke it out into four different quadrants and then broke down like the percentages of average, uh, the average employee and like what drives them. And I think money was third. I think purpose was first. But the point, my point in saying that is feeding off of what you said Everybody's different, and this is the importance of having one-on-one time so regularly because you need to know if one employee on your team is completely motivated by money, then that's how we need to help speak to them about like what they're there to accomplish. And who knows, like the reason for being motivated by that money is they're you know given fifty percent of their earnings back to a nonprofit they created. We have no idea. Doesn't mean they're selfish or whatever, but I think making sure that we spend that one-on-one time really understanding their why and what motivates them, so that we can truly speak into their life and it makes all the difference in the world. You
2: know, you talk about that money motivation, I think you're right about that. And you know, sometimes like I think about my own mom. My mom was a single mother raising four daughters and maybe she was money motivated and and really her motivation was being able to to care for her children, right? To make sure that we had a good life and could have an education and all the things that we needed. So, I think you are right understanding what motivates somebody whether that's money or purpose or status. Whatever that is, trying to meet them where they are and help them to get what they're desiring to achieve.
0: I definitely want to hit on the importance and the reason why we named this show Gut Plus Science. We believe that leaders have to have a hybrid of trusting their gut, going with their learnings and their experiences and you know sharing those with others, but using that in their decision-making, but not only gut. It can't be like, well, the last three people said this, so I'm going to make a decision based on what I'm hearing. You got to mix that with science and data. When it comes to leveraging your gut to make decisions about growing your business and developing 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 your people, and then also leveraging some science. Anything you'd like to expand on and how you kind of mix the two? You may have a gut feeling about what you're trying to create
2: and what you want it to feel like. That that gentleman told me he wanted it to feel like Saturday morning. So that's kind of a gut feeling. But I think it's really important to back that up with the research and to really help you to make very specific decisions based on the research and the gut. I tend to be as a a CEO, I tend to be not the biggest numbers person, but I will tell you, I have learned in the past five or six years to rely more and more on data. I think my gut is still a very valuable tool. My instinct is a very valuable tool, but I also know that, you know, when making a decision, having more data rather than less definitely helps me to make better decisions. And it's funny how that, that data can come in so many different forms. I mean, that's numerical data, that's talking to other people but i do think i make better decisions when i'm when i have different sources of information to support my instinct the one thing i would say to other ceos never underestimate the power of your culture because i am just truly a big believer everything i have learned in my professional career indicates to me that a good employee experience leads to a great customer experience i think you have to have both things in place and I definitely have learned that. I feel like I know that for sure. I think that sometimes it's easy to think culture is something fluffy that doesn't really matter. But I know that a great employee experience equals a great customer experience. I think the other thing that I've really learned is that you know I want our employees to be happy, generally speaking. But I don't think you can, mis- I don't think you can assume that because an employee is happy, that that means that they're engaged in what they're doing in their job. I think it's two different things. And so I think you have to make sure you separate that out and really think about truly what does engagement mean. And it's so much more than happiness. I've heard some leaders say they think it, you know that a happy employee must be engaged. And that's not always the case. Right. So I think it's really important to understand what engagement means and how that fits into your culture. And to make sure that you're measuring your culture as much as you're measuring your financial performance, because both of those things
0: really matter. Just to elaborate on your point about happiness versus engagement, you know, we're, we're happy when we have pizza parties for lunch, right? But that all wears off. You're going to be hungry at dinner time. It's so temporary. When it comes to engagement, it's like this feeling of significance and meaning. And I think that is a really, really good point to end on.
1: LHD is a full-service employee benefits firm that empowers their clients to make the best possible decisions for their employees to define optimal objectives, monitor outcomes, improve health, and engage and advocate for employees and their loved ones. Visit lhdbenefits.com.
0: All right, so this brings us to the truth you can act on section of today's show, where I'm going to give you some key takeaways, the things that I was really taking down and um, really applying to Mary Beth's emphasis on Building trust through creating a family feel in your organization. And here's a couple of things that I think um, I would just challenge you to figure out what can you take back to your teams or start to think about for your workplace. So number one, having dedicated open space for community gathering and to build relationships and access each other is really important to developing that family feel. So if you're working in an organization where everything is open concept, super cool, or the opposite, Um, Either way, there needs to be a dedicated space that's like your community building area where you can use that as the place to just have real conversations, spend time building friendships and relationships. I love that. Number two, having as a leader the guts, if you will, to challenge your people to grow and develop and have real conversations that say, I really care about you and I see you being able to do this, inspiring them to take that next step in their journey to grow and develop and being that accountability in their life to do that. It says a lot and I think that is a key builder to trust and, you know, think about what your parents typically do for you as they're challenging you and not just going the easy route of like, just get these things done and check the boxes, but step outside your comfort zone and work to develop and grow. I think that is great. And number three, the importance of getting real feedback regularly, getting real true feedback regularly. So find the best tools that allow you to gain the truth and leverage that feedback to have real conversations and hit things on the head that are really going on and be a coach to your people. I love that. The leaders in your organization should be going through and reading books on coaching training and figuring out how they can take that and develop your people. So I love all three things. Um, Mary Beth, thank you so much for being on the show today and we will see you next week. Did, Did we get that? Did we just change the world?